0: All right, so uh, Brian started this the last two weeks as we were talking about this acrostic for real, and we were talking about real living. And I wanna talk to you about uh, this idea. I think it's probably uh, the part that we struggle with the most in this, which is um, what's gonna set me free? Because most of us would say, yeah, I'm looking for some sort of freedom to be the person that I'm supposed to be. Last uh, two weeks ago, Brian talked about the uh, R stands for, anybody remember what the R stands for? Refuse, reject, uh, the things that you say, I'm not gonna be a part of that, I'm not gonna allow that to be a, a part of my life because that's, that's part of living, right? You, you have to grab hold of some things and other things you have to say, no, I'm not gonna hold on to that, 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 that would get me nowhere. And it really uh, is about the future, where you're going, not just about the immediate, and so he talked a lot about having to learn how to say no to certain things, which is a really hard thing for some of us. It is for me. Uh, I was just sort of raised in a small town and taught that you say yes to everything that anybody wants you to do, and you say yes to anything that's an opportunity. as you spit on the, uh, as an opportunity (laughs) that you have. Sorry about that. And I think a lot of it just came about because of the way I was raised. Maybe you were that way. Uh, Also, you know, my parents came out of World War II and in America, in our country, uh, after World War II was a time of incredible, incredible prosperity. Uh, Our industrialized nation was the envy of the world. We supplied the world. We were making money hand over fist. it was sort of the idea that there's nothing that we could do that was wrong. Uh, Christianity, in one sense, flourished during that time. Maybe not, you know. To some people, say, I'm not sure that was that was a cultural Christianity. Maybe not a real. And it's true we were very much a Christian uh, nation. And so my dad, who came up from uh, as a child through the the years, or right after the years of the Great Depression, and of having. Nothing, and my mom, you know, who saved everything. Did you have a mom like that? I mean, tin foil, you know, aluminum foil. Use it and then take it and wash it and put it in a stack. I'm like, mom, you know. She had, a, when what well, years ago when my wife and I, we went back and we went into the back room and she had every butter tub, the plastic, you know, butter you buy, and there's, they're there's tall. I mean, they go all the way down. Why, well, you never know, and you might need one. I know, but we've, you've got 180 of them It's <laughs> from the past 50 years. Why would you? But it was just a way of seeing life. And uh, my dad, because of that, he would, he would teach us this. Maybe you were taught this. He would teach us this. You can do anything, anything that you put your mind to. The, the, the possibilities are endless. You can do anything you put your mind to. And, and in one sense, that was a wonderful thing, but in another sense, it was a struggle because there's all of these things you could do. And so I would ask my dad, especially as I got older, I'd say, okay, yeah, but dad, but what's worth what? Doing, what's worth pursuing? Because yeah, you can go anywhere, do anything, you can, but is, is that really going to supply for me, You know, give me the satisfaction that I'm looking for? And honestly, as I got older and got really interested in uh, in the Bible and who God was and realized who Jesus was, that how, what does that have to do with getting to know him? Yeah, you can do anything, but not everything, as, as Paul says, not everything is good for you. <laughs> so you can chase a lot of things in life only to find out that why was I chasing that? Why did I go that direction? And it was one of those questions that I like to ask my dad and pose to my dad where he was looking for, you know, expanding you and you finding who you were, you know. Where I was like, yeah, but but what matters? What what really counts in life? I think that's one of the questions that most of us would say, yeah. And it, and it's different. It was different in a post World War II America than it was in a pre World War II America because all of the conditions had changed, enormous change in conditions. And then last week, uh, Brian talked about expectations, which I think expectations also have a lot to do with the future. What are you expecting? What are you pushing toward? What are you chasing after in life? And there's certain things that God says, here's what you should expect. Here's what you should chase after. Here's what would be rewarding and satisfying for you. And, and it brings a whole different perspective on life than, um, than you might have had before you realized who God was and, and what Jesus himself came to do. And then I want to get to this third one, which I, I, listen, almost the whole series was originally when we were working on it designed off of this one, because this is one of those that is just, you know, for me, such a big deal in helping people to understand that the A in real stands for what you accept. Because it, it's hard to accept some things about yourself, isn't it? Anybody have a hard time as you grew up accepting some things about yourself? Oh yeah, I was just, uh, i was. Uh, Joni and I were out of town and we go to the beach uh, with some friends and it's really uh, great and they love the beach and my wife loves the beach and she loves the sun and also I was redheaded and freckle faced So besides the freckles, I have no pigment in my skin, I don't. I'm either pink or I'm red, that's it, you know? (laughs) And even with with my friends wanting to connect all of the freckles and then see what it looked like, you know, it, it still didn't help. So honestly, I like the beach, I like the salt water, I just don't do good in the sun and it never made any sense to me, maybe you're like me, never made any sense to me, why would you wanna go out and lay on the sand in the sun? You can do that at home, just put yourself in the oven. You know, you can bake yourself, and it just never made any sense to me, but I always wanted to be like everybody else. That was hard for me to accept that I did not tan and I wanted to be like everybody else, and so I was determined that I would go out and be in the sun. One summer, my, uh, at the end of my freshman year, I worked in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I took a, a job working for Broward Precast. They made walls and different things, precast, and you come up and weld them together and put buildings together. And so we would work on reflective steel beds. They were like 150 yards long. You'd pour concrete, put down steel and all, and everybody would work without a shirt in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I worked 10 hours a day without a shirt. When I would come back to where we were staying, it was part of a a, a Navigator project that was there, Navigator is a Christian group on campus, and I would have blisters on my shoulders, literally blisters, white blisters on my shoulders, but I was absolutely determined that I was gonna be what? Like everybody else, that's right, (laughs) they're tanning, I'm gonna tan, I'm gonna be like everybody else. I am not, you know, nothing's gonna limit me because my dad told me, you put your mind to it, yes. (laughs) Unfortunately, my shoulders had a different, you know. (laughs) And and even now, as I go to the dermatologist, the dermatologist, she will tell me, you did a lot of damage when you were young. I said, yes, I was stubborn and I was determined. Good quality in some ways, but at the same time, there is a reality in life that you have to accept and that is that this was not made for me or I was not made for this. You know, it just, it's just a different outlook in life. I think that's a hard thing for us to, to deal with. In fact, if you've been around me much, you will know this. One of the things that I, that I, that I struggle with is when people talk about, and I know it may hurt some feelings when I say this, that the biggest need we have is to learn to love ourselves. So if you've been around me, you know, I don't like that one because I think that that is not true. I think we all love ourselves. I think it's the default. I think we naturally love ourselves. I love me, I don't understand why you don't love me. (laughs) I just think that's the way we are. What we have a hard time with is accepting ourselves, accepting our shortcomings, our limitations that I just talked about. We have a hard time accepting, here's the hard one, our sinfulness, right? that it's there, it's in me, I will do the wrong thing even though I know it's the wrong thing, I am kind of drawn to doing the wrong thing And, and denying it or saying it's not there or just learning to love myself or somehow even learning to love myself so much that I say even what I do is wrong, it's not really wrong because I love myself, it doesn't work, it doesn't get you where you wanna go. It doesn't solve your relationship between, I've never met someone who is close to God who has said, and I got close to God by working on how much I love myself. It doesn't work. You get close to God because you find out who he is, you find out what he has done, you're overwhelmed with who he is, how much love he has for you, and his love for you makes it so you can accept who you are. I can accept my shortcomings. I can accept my limitations. Even though one day I'm going to ask God, "Why did I not get pigment in my skin?" You know, but I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, I I know that's just my life. That's just who I am. God made me for something. He made me for a purpose. He made me the way I am. He gives me the opportunities I have. He's given you the opportunities you have. You know, this is your time. This is your time. Not another time. Not in the future. This is your time. And God gave you this time for a reason. God redeems this time for a reason. One day, yeah, God has a future for you, but on the earth, for right, this is your time on the earth. I was listening to Billy Graham this morning and Billy Graham was talking about his time and this is when he was older in life. He was standing up there preaching and he says, you have a time and he says, you have to figure out how to use your time and who gave you this time. How are you gonna honor him with this time? And he says, my time's almost up. He was older in life when he was preaching. And he says, I'm going to still use it for, he said, I'm not going to retire. And he pretty much didn't. He tried to just keep going on. And he said, I'm going to use my time for whatever God has decided this is what your time is for. Wonderful thing, because you don't have to regret in life when you're at the end that you could accept who you are, accept your limitations, accept the fact that God has no limitations. That's what makes him so amazing and that why someone who has no limitations would love us and reach down to us and say, I want you. Boy, there's no greater love than that, right? You don't have to look in the mirror and love yourself. The God of the universe said, I want you. There's nothing more thrilling than to realize he did that and he proved it by sending his son, Jesus Christ, um, into the world. So here's the question, what will set you free? I think if you can't accept who you are, you can't accept those limitations, you can't accept your own sinfulness, you can't accept that you know, it was God who rescued you, you're gonna have a hard time finding the life that, that you wanna live. And I think if you look Old Testament to New Testament, you're gonna find this is a constant theme in the book and it's the reason that Jesus came because of the love that God has for us, I put a, a quote in here. This is from a book. Um, it's probably one you will never read, or you wouldn't pick up. I just happen to pick up books um, that um, are written, and I kind of enjoy it. And this one, even in the title, as you look on it, will it pop up there? Yeah, they did that. Great. This is a Gregory Kukul, uh, and he wrote a book called "The Story of Reality." That's something I would write. That's a terrible title. Just to let you know. But he's academic. He's a professor. Very, very smart. I actually like what he did. And so he, like me, would pick a really terrible tire because it's sort of like, here's the book for everything in life. No, <laughs> you're not going to write that book. And it's not that big. Of, it's only about 250 pages. So everything in life is not going to be condensed to that. But he said some really good things about reality and dealing with reality in it. And this is about two-thirds away in the book. This is what he says, beginning of a chapter. And um, these are his bold letters Um, all capitals, not mine, this is what he put. Every story of reality, think about this, every story of reality has a theology, so to speak. Even those stories that do not seem particularly religious, he still says they have a theology, so to speak. Those theologies, he says, they represent a set of facts that cannot be dispensed with for the story to stay intact. Think about that. Every story has these facts that you cannot separate the facts or take them out or, or do away with them, and the story to stay in, intact. And I love it. He gives us a little example. He says, you know, like Dickens um, in his story, A Christmas Carol. If you take Ebenezer Scrooge out of the story, it's no longer the the Christmas classic that it is. It's just another tale. Exactly. Now, let me tell you why this matters. Because when Jesus came into the world. Jesus told stories. I know that somebody's gonna say, oh man, I know people, they're called atheists, who think that too, you know, he made this up. No, no, he, he lived a real life. Um, he was God in the flesh, that's, that's what I believe. He, he came down, put on flesh and blood, and lived among us. But because he related to people, he understood what we were like, he would use stories many times when he would talk to people. Don't you do that also? Sure. Why do you tell stories? He, he would call them, or the Bible would call them parables, but that's what a parable is. A parable is a made up story to try to impress upon you certain facts or certain ideas that otherwise you will miss and it's kinda to, to bring those out and Jesus was a master at those parables are those stories. I know some people that might offend you uh, because you may think, no, Jesus always told it straight and he told, well, you need to go back and read the gospels, they're really good. The, the, it's amazing what's in them. And even the disciples came to Jesus after a while and said, why do you keep telling parables? Why do you keep telling these stories? Just be straight with people. And then later at the end of Jesus' ministry, the three years that he was with them, they said, yes, finally, because some of them were fat guys, right? Finally, he's telling them straight up but for three years he told parables. Why did he tell parables? Jesus actually said it. You will hear these phrases before. He who has ears let him, yeah. <laughs> so from the parable, you could, you could get it. You could listen to the parable. You could understand what the parable is talking about if you want to, yeah. But you could also dismiss it. You could say, no. Nope. Not listening to that, don't like that story, I don't know what he's talking about. And many times when Jesus would tell his parables, he would tell his stories, he would anger the religious leaders. They knew exactly what he was saying. And they said, that, that's a shot at us when he's telling that parable, when he's telling that story, and that made them mad. It wasn't direct, but it was, he, they knew it was really about them. Because every parable, um, the, the people in the story represent something and Jesus is telling it for a reason. So the reason I wanna show you one of his parables, one of the best known, it's called the Prodigal Son. It's in, in Luke and it's in a chapter where Jesus tells three stories. Um, he tells one story about the lost sheep and he talks about how the shepherd lost his sheep. He leaves the 99, he had 100 sheep, to, to do what? Go and find the lost sheep. And we would say, well, yeah, and then you think about it, yeah, but that doesn't make any sense. What about the 99? You found the, the one, you come back, and somebody stole the 99. You, you lost ground, right? But, but of course, the shepherd, because of his heart for his sheep, his love for his sheep, he goes to find the one trying to put the 99 securely away so he can go find them. He tells a story about the, the older woman, the widow, and, and she has these coins, a handful of coins, and she loses one. And what does she do? You know this, the parable? She scours the house. She's under everything. You, same thing you would do if you lost one of those valuable coins and you only had a certain number, a small number. And when she finds the coin, I love this. You know, When she finds the coin, you know what she does? She throws a party. Well, that's gonna cost more than the coin, you know? So <laughs> it's not the point. <laughs> it's not the point. This, it, he's talking about the heart of God. And, and the, the, the story of the prodigal son is all about the heart of God. And I will tell you this, if you, if you listen to the story, and you read the story with that understanding that Jesus is telling a story, and, and you look and say, who am I in the story? You will find some interesting things about yourself, some wonderful things about yourself, which is why Jesus told those things, and a lot of them, I'm gonna point to some things in here where uh, he's actually talking about learning or having to understand and accept some things about yourself, so here's the parable. It's beginning in verse number 11. This is in um, Luke chapter 15. This is what it says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this, say it with me this, Okay, I know it's modern translation. It would say parable in the older ones, but that that's that's exactly the translation. Here's this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, pretty pretty quick to the point, right? I want my share of your estate, my inheritance, now before you die. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons, which you know, most of us as parents, you know, we would say, What are you thinking, right? You know what he's gonna do. Why would he want his cut now? Because he wants to live, he sees all that his father has, he knows one day he will inherit part of it, but why wait until you're old, I want my cut now so that I can go and live any way I want to, I can chase all of my desires, my wants, rather than being in some way sort of under the desires or the the accountability of who? The father, yes, let me say that again. Under the accountability of who? Okay, you do get the story, right? Of course. We all understand that story. We, we know what that's like. You were young once where you just wanted to get out. You just wanted to be on your own. My sister still says, I do not remember this at all, and I don't think she's a liar, I just think she's confused, but, but maybe I did. <laughs> Maybe I did say this and maybe she said, "You know, there was a time she says, I remember you saying, I'm leaving here where I grew up and I'm never coming back. I, I, I can't imagine that I would say that, that if, if that's true. I was a liar because I went back a lot, so I was always going back to where my parents were and my sister and my brother uh, were, but that's what, she, that's what she sort of remembers and I'm sure there, were, there was a time in my life where I just wanted to go be my own person. Were you like that? Sure and if you've got teenagers you 've got one like that, and they're struggling they're having a hard time uh, trying to figure out how do I grow up and and be on my own and yet there's a there's a fearfulness about that where the younger son said, no, there's not for me because I'm going to have all the resources. <laughs> I want to take this fortune and that's really what the story is about it's the son of a rich man, and that's all of us because the 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 father the The God who created us is wealthy. So God did not create us in in a sense of poverty even though we have different degrees of wealth on this earth. God is our Father who loves us and watches after us and that's that's Jesus' uh, beginning point of his story. But two things I think jump out and I think this would have been part of the feeling of both the Father and of uh, maybe as you uh, go through life also, there are some things that we don't understand. And I think in Jesus' story, this father would probably, if you talk to him, would say, I don't understand why he wants to leave. In a sense, I do. I was that way at some age. But you've got it good. This, this is such a good place. This, this is such a better, much a better place for you than the world that you wanna go out into and you wanna explore and that you think you can master and if you just had enough money or oh, everything would work out well, son, you don't understand the world. Anybody ever had that talk with their child? Yeah, so of course, because they don't. You're young, you're naive, you don't know what you're gonna be tricked into. There are a lot of people out there who wanna take your money away from you. I mean, there are all sorts of things that you just don't know what you're getting into and I think if you were to talk to the father in the story, he would say the same thing, even though God certainly understands, but the guy in the story would. And then there's the second thing is, there are things you can't control. And I think that's what happens with the father. I think he realizes, I can't control this. And I know there are a lot of parents that say, oh yeah, I can still control my child. You know, even, even when they're in their late teens and they're, tw- oh no, you can't. You, you can try and you can make it more difficult and you can make them wanna leave even more than they did before, but you can't control them because they're starting to have their own ideas, their, their own ways, and they will go through their own mistakes. Why? Because they have limitations, just like you and I. Because they have their own sin inside, just like you and I have ours. And I know that's a scary thing for any parent, letting your child go. I, I pick at my kids and, and I love to do it because I told them that that's, you know when they were growing up, this is the point of your life. And I know you think, what is the point of their life? A sermon illustration. That's the point of their life. And they didn't realize that. So, you know, my son, my, my wife was always afraid he wasn't gonna pass the next grade, you know? So, because it was close a lot of times. And so, you know, and, and keep moving uh, forward. And then, so the idea of going off to college was like, he's not gonna get up. He's not gonna, anybody have a child like that? He's not gonna show up at class. I know some of them You say, and mine didn't, you know? Okay. But, he did. And I told her, I said, no, no, he'll, he'll figure it out. Uh, in fact, he figured it out really well and, and graduated early with two degrees. And so, you know, once he kind of figured it out and it was on him, he actually liked it and he did a good job. Made a lot of mistakes, sure he did. We all do, that's, that's part of life. But you figure it out. But there's those parts that you just can't control. That's the reality of life, even in the story. I know you think, well, the father in this case and their culture could have, he would, could have said no. But the father realized this is something my son's gotta figure out, and there's not much I can do for it. So here's, here's verse 13. It says, a few days later, this younger son, he packed all of his belongings and he moved to Waco. Oh, I'm sorry, that was my son. He moved to a <laughs> he moved to a distant land. It's kinda like, you know, kinda like Waco. And and um and there he wasted all his money on, say this with me, on what? A While living. And I don't know why that's in. Green, I guess, okay, Um, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to say this with me, starve. So all those resources that were my protection, that was a guarantee that it could not fail, all of a sudden, he has to hit the reality. He has to accept, didn't protect me didn't put me in a situation where you know it couldn't fail. Something he could not control or protect uh, uh, or stop occurred, a famine hit the land. We understand that, right? You see situations in life where you just never thought this was gonna happen, then all of a sudden, boom, it's a different world. Something has changed that you could not predict, you did not know. It happens not only in the world, it happens personally, doesn't it? All of a sudden, something that you never thought could happen, you just never, Assume that this was, this was gonna come about. All of a sudden, boom, it's there. And it just throws off your world. That's right, because you don't have control over everything that, uh, that comes up and everything that happens. And it is one of those things that you just have to be okay with. You have to accept that that's the way it is. So he persuaded a local farmer uh, to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields, oh, listen to this, to feed who? Pigs. So for a young Jewish boy, this would be the worst job you could possibly get. This would be the, the, the pits. This is the absolute worst. In fact, when I was in uh, school, I was, uh, my dad was a doctor, so I was pre-medical and I was struggling at the end, and one of the things uh, I noticed is that uh, some guys would, would leave, graduate from school, um, they would go get a job, and they would end up in a really, really, really bad job, difficult job, heavy labor, and just, you know, so I, I won't name them because, you know, you might have that job. And, but, you know, but that, that's the way they viewed it. And they just looked at it, man, what was I thinking? And then when they would come back to school and go into grad school and then go on to medical school, they were like, I'm, I'm ready to work because, I've figured out the real world. <laughs> and, and this, as hard as it's gonna be, is a whole lot better than the real world if I don't have this part in trying to move on to, to something else. That's a great thing as far as growing up is concerned, isn't it? My son, when he was little, he decided he was gonna make a lot of money mowing grass. And he was way too young you know, to go do this on his own, so dad had to go help mow grass. So I hated this idea, just to let you know, because I was like, I do not want to go do this. And so at the end of the summer, this is what I asked him. I said, so what did you learn from this summer going out and trying to make a lot of money mowing grass? He said, first of all, you need to collect money every week. And just to let you know, you do. Because if you miss one week when you're collecting the money from mowing the grass, and you show up about four weeks into it and say, you owe me, that, they're mad because that's a big number, you know. So uh, And so he said, that was the first thing. He said, the second thing is, I don't want to do this for a living. That's what he said. I was like, good. So let's go back to school because the fall was, you know, starting and I don't remember if it was the fourth grade or fifth grade, something like that, you know. So I was happy because he got some motivation to say, it's okay to go to school. It's okay to have to study. It's okay to have to listen to the teachers. He got a new perspective on all of it. That's what this guy's getting He's going a lesson for about life. He, he doesn't have the tiger by the tail. He can't dictate the terms to life, even though we think, if I made enough money, if I became famous enough, if I got in the right position, I could dictate the terms. The problem is, you're still gonna run head on into the wall that says, no, you can't. You didn't know. You can't predict. You have no control over. And he has run into exactly that now he's feeding pigs for for a young Jewish boy, just the biggest insult of all. And it says, and the young man became, listen to this, he became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked what? Good, oh man, is it really that bad? It was. Even what he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But, he said, but "But it says, but no one gave him anything. You know what that means? No one cared. <laughs> you ever been to that place? It just feels like no one cares. It's a good place for him. Um, the guy that I worked for for a long time, he used to, in this story, he used to love to say this. He would say, as Dr. Young down in Houston, he would say this, he would say, an empty stomach is a wonderful preacher. It is, the reality of it, that no one cares, I haven't got anything, it's not working out. Now, I know you may say, well, I've got plenty to eat. Okay, great, you may even like your job, but there's this emptiness, this hollowness that comes in us sometimes because what we're pursuing, what we're chasing, just doesn't fulfill us. It doesn't, It, it might meet some needs, It may, in a temporary way, it may kind of fulfill you or or move you forward. But at some point, if you find out that the road that you're on doesn't end up in the place that you wanted it to, then there's this lack of satisfaction and this feel of disappointment and why did I chase this? And that's what he's feeling right now. Why would I chase this? Why would I go, could I not have seen, could I not have understood it would end this way? I think you know, in the reality of a story like this, I'm sure the father actually told him, this is not gonna end the way you want it to end. It's not gonna end well for you, in fact, if you keep pursuing this. Sometimes what happens is when you're chasing what you want, your values can get confused. What you think is important, what you think is best it's all thrown off because you're chasing your own desires and what you have decided is good for you and you're missing something that is of incredible, infinite value to you. And that is, but what about the Father? And the Father in this case, of course, is a picture of who? God, yes. So you were made by him, you were made for him you, you were made to know him and now you've lost something that was, that was so much a part of your core of who you are. It, it cannot end well. And your values get all thrown off. You start saying this is good and it's not good. You start saying this is bad and it's actually good. You, your values get all thrown off as this young man did and nothing changes till you end up at the bottom, you know, at the lowest point in your eyes at least, how you see it. Uh, in life. Sometimes, that's a part of that quote, sometimes pain is a really good preacher, yeah. Sometimes that emptiness is a good message for me and a good message for you that something's off, something's lacking, something's wrong in my life. So here's what it says in the very next paragraph. It says, when he finally came to his, say it with me, I call it, and I know this is gonna date me, I call it the aqua velva moment, right? <laughs> I know you don't even know what aqua velva is if you're a certain age, but you know, so it's, the, you know, it's the kind of the wake up moment. What was I thinking? What was I going? And, and you look back at your life as he would have looked back at his life and looked back at the family and his father and everything that he had. He would have looked back at his life and said, What was I thinking? Look at where I am and look at where I was. And from that perspective, from his perspective now in life, yes, it becomes real obvious the difference. Hey, can I just help you with this too? Your kids will have to go through that also, where they'll hit that moment, where they all of a sudden will reevaluate the, the value of things in life and they really won't catch it even though you don't understand why they won't catch it until they're at that point where I'm missing something that's really important. What was I thinking going in this direction or chasing this in my life? If you're there right now, if you're at that moment where you've kind of uh, moving toward that coming to your senses, listen, the good news is the Father's still available. The, the God's love for you and his desire for you, which is what Jesus is trying to illustrate in this, is, is still incredible. And and it's not a problem of God not doing something for you or God not reaching you or somehow, you know, your path. Your path is gonna be the path that you choose, right? And sometimes choosing the wrong path is kind of how you wake up and how you figure out what the right path is. And, And you find in choosing the wrong path and end up in a bad place, the strength or the motivation that you need to say, listen, I need to make a change. I need to do something different in my life. That's not a bad thing. In fact, that's an absolutely a wonderful thing because when you reach those moments in your life, th- those are things you learned that you could learn no other way in life. And no one can talk you out of it because you know you've been there. And you say, no, I, I understand what you're saying, but I've been there and I know what's, what's valuable. And, and, and you learned it. It's not because someone told you or, or you read it, you experienced it in your own life and-, and uh, Nothing more valuable than that. So he came to his senses and he said to himself, I like this, the self-talk, right? Here's his self-talk. At home, even the hired servants have enough uh, to spare. And here I am, what? Dying of emptiness, hunger inside. He said, I will go home to my father and here's what I will say, he rehearses it. He has to think it out because there's this, this idea of being honest of accepting the fact that he made really bad decisions and where he is is because of his decisions. So he says this, he says, I will say to my father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I think this is Jesus bringing it in right to perspective. Heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your what? I'm not even worthy to be called your son. It doesn't mean that he wasn't a son of the father. It just means that's how he felt when he looked at his actions and what he did and how he misused um, his privilege and the point of his life. And so he says, so please take me on as a hired hand. So he decides I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna lay it out to the Father and see if he will uh, uh, bring me back on. And then I I, I put this at the top of your outline on the backside, because I think this is really important to think about. So do you think the fact that he physically returns goes back to his home, do you think that makes a difference? Think about it for a minute. You think actually, because you say, well, yeah, I understand that, I felt it inside, but I'm not gonna do anything about it. you think actually doing something about it makes a difference? See, I think it makes all the difference in the world, because a lot of times we, we catch it, we've got it, but somehow to find the humility, and from the humility, the ability then to go back, and say, as he was rehearsing, I was wrong. I didn't know what I was talking about. I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. And, and missing you and missing home, you know, was the biggest mistake of my life. Now, it's a wonderful lesson learned, but, but you have to turn around, you have to go back, and you have to face the Father, and you have to come to that place, and so that's what he does, look at verse number 20. It says, so he returned home to the Father, and while he was still, don't you love this part? while he was still a long way off, which means either the father had people looking for him and sent word to him or he got it on his cell phone. You know, Somehow he knew that he'd kind of uh, awakened and woke up and he's coming back home while he was still a long way off. Look at what happens while he's still a long way off. It says his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. Wait a minute, say that again, filled with love and compassion for his son, dying inside for his son, he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. As many authors have said, this is the only time in the Bible that you will see God depicted as running toward anything. And that is when he runs toward us, when we realize and we decide I'm going back home, that God runs to meet us. He says, uh, his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, I think that what's so important about this story too is the father actually lets the son say it. He already knows, he already wants his son. I would probably make the mistake of, say, of cutting him off, say no, no, I already know it. No. no, let him say it. Let him, let him make his statement. Let him proclaim what he has learned and the father waits and lets him make that statement. Then it says in verse 22, but his father said to the servant." so here's what he says to the father. His father turns to the servants, and here's what he says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, get sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we have been fattening. They would fatten a calf for some sort of Feast. He says, we must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine, say this with me, this son of mine was what? He was dead and now he has returned to life. He was what? He was lost, yes, now he has been found. So the party began, wow. Celebration, just like with the lady finding the coin because my son who is dead to me by his own choice, he has left, now my son is back this son who is living a lost life, and that's what a lost life is. You're chasing the wrong things. You're thinking, this will fulfill me. You're wasting precious time and resources and energy in the things that don't matter, the things that, that are not gonna deliver for you, and you're missing, you're missing what God has for your life in the relationship that God so desires to have with his sons and with his daughters, two things in this. It's not the end of our story. This isn't the end of our story. It's the part where we like to stop and say, man, this is wonderful. But in the real world, as Jesus will, will talk about in his, world, in his story, it's not the end of the story. And then second, um, what does, this is the question, the guy that's about to pop out, what do you think the older son in the story, what do you think he represents? I know a lot of the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders would say he's, he's pointing at us But sometimes even the older son is some of us. Sometimes it's just how we see it and how upset we are that other people are chasing after the wrong things and we don't understand the compassion that the father has um, in trying to bring that person back. So here's what he says in verse 25. He says, meanwhile, the older son, yeah, the story's not over. He was in the fields working. He's doing his job. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants who was, what was going on. He says, your brother is back. This is the, where it originally came from. He's back. Yeah, that's, <laughs> he's back. I thought we got rid of him. You know, good riddance. He wasted so much of the fortune. And now, yeah, he's back. He's just gonna waste more of it. He's back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe." return the older brother was angry he wouldn't go in this is the same story in the Old Testament you will find with Jonah right and so Jonah is sent to prophesy against Nineveh that God is gonna strike Nineveh for, for all their wickedness and and he goes in fact he doesn't go. he's I'm not going there you know and he tries to go the other way and God supernaturally arranged or he has no choice. And he goes back, he goes and he prophesies and Nineveh repents. And Jonah, you would think, is going like, yes, celebrate. No, Jonah is angry. God, why would you do this? In fact, one of my favorite parts of the story, we just went through it about three weeks ago in my small group. Favorite parts of the story. Jonah goes and he sits on the ground in the heat in the desert. He's so fuming and mad and he's sitting in the sun. I don't know if he tanned or not, but he's sitting in the sun <laughs> and a vine, it says, grows up and a leaf you know, kind of shields him and he's so happy for the little vine because it gives him some comfort. That's the way we are. It gives him some comfort, a little bit of satisfaction and it says that in the same day, God, he, he decided to grow a little worm that crawled over to the vine, chewed the stalk of the vine, and the vine died, and Jonah is so angry. And God says, listen to this, this is a great story, if you think about what he's trying to do. Do you have a right? Are you justified, Jonah, in being angry about the vine? He said, you better believe I am angry enough and I'm justified enough to just kill me now, let me die. That's how stubborn he was. He says, wait a minute, you, you care about this little vine, why? Because it gave you a little bit of comfort. And you do not care about the hundreds of thousands in the city of Nineveh, who have somehow now been rescued because of their repentance. He's, he's like, you're right, you're absolutely right. I want them dead, I want them fried. I want you to, he wanted vengeance. You know how much anger Being angry, mad, bitter, vengeful. Do you understand how much that will take you away from the compassion that God has for what He has decided to have compassion for? For His mercy and His love? You understand the separation that that could cause with you and God when you don't catch what the father loves and you're like the older brother that says, it's not fair, I stayed here, I worked, great. Stay there and work, do your job. But don't be angry because the father has compassion on who he decides to have compassion John, in his gospel, you know, the very first part, he comes down after he talks about who Jesus is, he comes and he says, full of, do you know what he says? Full of what? Grace and truth. And something we don't quite, we're, no, you have to be one or the other, no. Full, completely full of grace and truth. That's what Christ was. That's why Jesus came. That's When he came, that's what he came to do, to, to show to us. This this compassion that the Father has that we need to grasp. We need to understand the heart of the Father. I was telling some of the uh, some of the older ministers like me, and uh, there was a few younger ones in the group also. I was telling them, I said, you know, here's one of the frustrations. You better be okay with. I said, you're going to work, sacrifice, go through all kind of hardships to try to uh, plant, build, and grow a church. And listen, that's 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 what I understand, and then one day you're gonna grow this thing and it's gonna be worth a lot of money, there's a lot of property, a lot of buildings, and you're gonna hand it off to some people who did nothing to to build it or make it happen. And one of the younger guys is with us, he said, thank you. And I said, okay, smart aleck. And uh, you know, so (laughs) are you okay with that? Building, working, growing, sacrificing for something that eventually one day gets handed off to someone else who did nothing for it? You better be, because if you work and you sacrifice and you try to grow something, that's what will happen. <laughs> and you have to trust God with that. As I, as I told them, I said, you know, but like you, because these are my friends, I said, but like you, I am grateful for my part of the story, that God chose me to do this and to hand it off one day. And I'm not gonna get caught up in the other side of saying it's not fair, I went through so much, I sacrificed so much to get there and someone else gets handed something they didn't. You gotta be okay with that in life. God is the judge of this world and this life and he will judge you just like he will judge me on how well I, I took the opportunity that he gave me and what I did with it to honor him not because of everybody else and everything else. And the older brother just doesn't catch this part. He doesn't get it. He's still kind of absorbed with himself and how well he's done. Now he's doing it in a righteous way, a self-righteous way, but that's still what he's doing and he's missing the heart here of the, uh, the father And said, He said, all these years I've slaved for you, never once, Refused a single thing you told me to do and in all that time you never gave me a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when when this son of yours, as he calls him, this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf and his father appeals to him because he's trying to teach him lessons that we need to understand also. Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is what? There's an inheritance. (laughs) We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come to life. He was lost and he has now been found. See, it all points back to where Jesus starts uh, when he starts his life, that it all comes from the Father. And it is in our relationship to the Father, our connection to the Father, and to that being our home, that we find the fulfillment, the satisfaction that we're looking for. We can't take our eyes off of this. And so in this world, in this life, there's just a lot of things you're gonna have to accept about this life as you keep your eyes on who the Father is and where home is. Let's pray together. And Heavenly Father, we just thank you that um, your plans are good, even though we don't understand them a lot of times. They're beyond us so many times in life And as we go through this life, there's so many lessons that we need to learn and they're still all built upon. The foundation of them is still trusting you, loving you. And because we love you, loving people, other people, because you love other people. Lord, we understand that we live in a difficult world. So many times it's a painful world But Father, I thank you that because of you, because we can keep our eyes on you, we can know you, we can put our hope and our trust in you, not in this world because this world is not our final home. There's so much more than just this life. It's hard for us, Lord, to see that and understand it. So would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear so that we can learn and we can grow. And so Lord, that we could use our time, the time that you've given us, we could use it well for your plans. If you're here and you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, God sent him into this world so that you would know how much you're loved in your life and in your time, that the Father loves you. And he's proven it by sending his son who would give his life and sacrifice and go through the most painful things in life, Suffer all those things so that you would understand, so that you would know just how loved you are. So you can open up your life and say, Lord, I I wanna give you my life. I, I know that you gave me life. I wanna give it back to you and trust you with my life. And so Lord Jesus, would you come and lead me and be my king, my Lord. Thank you that you are my savior and my rescuer So Lord, would you show me how you want me to live and fill me with your life, your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray.